Godfrey's Gospel according to Michael Godfrey Will things change in the wake of Ashling's death? The shocking death of Ashling Murphy last week sparked a nationwide outpouring of grief. Her senseless death also sparked a debate that's long overdue in this country. For too many years, violence and intimidation towards women has been tolerated or swept under the rug in this country. I can remember once being asked to keep a court case out of the paper by a man because his son was up for assaulting his wife. He loved her too much, was how the incident was explained to me. That wasn't the only time. On too many occasions, excessive drinking was used as an excuse by a man for beating up his wife or putting her in fear for her life and that of her children. In more recent years, the misuse of drugs has become the norm to trot out as an excuse whenever a woman is badly assaulted. I was on drugs and didn't know what I was doing, is all you hear. Sorry, I don't buy either of those excuses. All the perpetrator was really doing was hiding his true self whenever he is sober. The old phrase, whatever is in you will come out when you're drunk, is certainly true. But there are many other ways in which a woman can feel unsafe. A big, thick, ignoramus shouting just to get his own way, or making menacing signs at a female driver, shouldn't be tolerated. A group of men standing four abreast as a woman tries to pass while out walking or running should not be tolerated. A man making lewd remarks at a woman as she passes by should not be tolerated, even if that Egypt thinks it's a compliment. Passing comments on a woman's physical appearance or the manner in which she is dressed should also be kept to oneself. The internet has been blamed for many wrongs over the past 20 years, and yes, while there is some truth in that, adults must take part of the blame if their children do not learn how to respect one another. Too many women have been beaten to death, maimed for life, or left in fear to such an extent that their lives have been ruined, and those responsible have not paid a high enough price. There have been far too many incidents where the victim has been blamed and sympathy extended to the perpetrator, when the opposite should have been the case. Isn't it dreadful to think that Ashling was killed along a stretch of waterway named in honour of another local woman who went missing 25 years ago and who everyone believes was also murdered? We have heard from all of the political parties, as well as those who represent various interest groups, express the hope that Ashling's death will be a watershed and finally a national debate will be held on the whole question of violence towards women. I would love to think that will be true and my hope is that it will. Sadly, experience tells me that while a lot of headlines will be created over the next few weeks and months, very little will change. To do that requires resources, education, training programmes, updating school curriculums, Holding our politicians to account. Holding ourselves to account. People also need to know that if prosecuted, they won't just receive a slap on the wrist and told not to reoffend. They need to know that they will be locked up for a very long time, with little or no chance of an early release. That may sound somewhat harsh, but look at the alternative. A grieving family must try to come to terms with the ultimate loss. There is no coming back from the horrible events of last week, when all her family expected to see and talk to Ashling after she returned from her brief run. Instead, they received life-changing news and now have to live with the fact that they will never see 
or speak to her again. Time to think with Father Paddy Byrne. Seismic changes needed in the priesthood. In the past three years in Ireland, 20% of clergy have died. The average age of diocesan priests in this country is now close to 70. In any other public service, the vast majority of our clergy should be retired and enjoying rest and calm after decades of faithful service. Instead, many are expected to keep the ship afloat well into their 80s. The question is, how do we respond to this? Is it a question of how we keep the show on the road, or as one priest wrote in a local newspaper, rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, or do we attempt to see this through the eyes of Christ and his Father? When Christ was physically present among us, the challenge that was, and still is, made to all of us was to continue to grow and develop, not just maintain an existing system, which the existing system of his time found so hard to countenance. Fewer priests does not mean no priests. Rather, it could mean moving to a different understanding of the priesthood, one that emphasises empowerment and enablement, and getting local Eucharistic communities to take responsibility for managing themselves, in which case we may not need so many priests. And there's no reason why we cannot have married priests. Let's face it, we've had them before but not simply to prop up the existing system as part of the next phase of development, which our Saviour wills. It means quite a few changes, both theologically as well as pastorally, and while it is understandable that some priests, and even more bishops, will find difficulty here, now is the time to start thinking, planning and preparing. We have plenty of examples from earlier periods in the Church to draw on, but this does not mean turning the clock back, rather we can take the learning and apply it to the present and the future. As my late mother used to say, God gave us brains and he expects us to use them. In my opinion, this continued disconnect from lived reality is at the heart of the so-called vocations crisis. Reality is where the truth lives. And a male, celibate, hierarchical priesthood no longer rings true. In the words of singer-songwriter Paul Brady, it is trying to reach the future through the past. Yes, we need priests, but we also need a reimagined priesthood, freed from the shackles of history. A priesthood where people who are trained in spirituality and an understanding of the gospel message, who are willing to work in their community as facilitators at community gatherings to celebrate the Eucharist, a celebration of the universal presence of a loving God, to forgive, to heal, to mourn. These people would be drawn from their own community of faith, not separate from or above it. Celibacy and gender exclusivity are weapons of power and authority. As a church, we need to step into the deep to ask the pertinent questions and to have the ears to listen to the prophetic voices of our time. We are weighed down by so much historical baggage. We need a new freedom. The synodial pathway will be a long and winding road indeed.